few moments to rein the attention in to the body. Noticing the changing sensations within the body. Some may be more predominant than others. Experiencing the touch point of the buttocks to the chair cushion. Your hands touching. And generally just noticing the whole body simply sitting here. It can be helpful at the beginning of any sitting to ground your attention in the body. And then for many of you, it's more helpful to open the attention, noticing whatever experience is predominant moment by moment. However, for many of you, it may be more helpful to begin with the breath as you experience it in a place that's most clear, probably at your belly. It could be at your chest area or at the nostrils. Choosing only one of those areas to put your attention Noticing the changing sensations within the movement of one breath, the in-breath, and then the out-breath. So go to that chosen area. Connect and sustain your attention with the in-breath and then with the out-breath. Breathing in a natural way, not forcing your breath or controlling it. And breathing in a way that only you can hear your breath. It may be helpful for you to have a silent mental notation of in at the beginning of the in-breath out at the beginning of the out-breath. Making sure that this silent mental labeling or notation is using only 3 to 5% of the energy expended. (coughs) Most of the energy is in the actual experience of the changing sensations within the movement of that one-half-breath. So noting in and then experiencing that in-breath, feeling it, touching it with mindful awareness, noting out and then experiencing the changing sensations in that movement of the breath. feeling it closely, intimately.
So for those of us who begin with the breath, it's helpful sometimes to stay with the breath for a few moments, but eventually to open the attention. Remember that our practice is not about staying with the breath all the time. The breath is a place to stabilize the attention, to sharpen the attention, to rest the attention or awareness. But in time we open the attention to receive whatever other experiences are to be known. The other experiences may be sensations in other parts of the body. Of course, pain will arise. Various sensations of burning, hardness, tension, pressure. Mindfulness can know these sensations as they are without adding anything more to it. But sometimes resistance to the pain arises, aversion to the pain, wanting some other experience to be there. When this happens, when any of the hindrances arise, aversion, attachment, doubt, restlessness because of the pain. Know these experiences of the hindrances. They can be known with a quiet, neutral, receptive attention. So if aversion or resistance is in the mind in relationship to the pain, It can be known, aversion being known, resistance being known. This is the way one may notice what's going on. If the mind is wanting something else to happen, wanting can be known. Restlessness can be in the body and in the mind. Restlessness can manifest as a lot of wandering mind. Allow mindfulness to know it clearly. It can be noted simply as wandering mind or thinking being known. Restlessness can also be known in the body, just a physical feeling of wanting to jump out of your skin. See if mindfulness can just be aware without adding anything else. Knowing this experience of the body, restlessness being known. And sometimes because there's a lot of doubt, a lot of aversion or attachment, restlessness, 
even sleepiness, sloth and torpor, all of these hindrances, doubt may arise. We may doubt the ability to actually do the practice. Be careful to know doubt as doubt without getting lost in the words, the thoughts that come with doubt. As soon as you recognize doubt in the way the mind is thinking about the practice, see if you can note or notice it right away, as soon as you can, so the mind doesn't continue to identify with it. It can be known, doubt being known. Whenever you need to, you can come back to the breath as a way to stabilize and rest the attention. And then open again to whatever is happening in the field of awareness that's predominant. If it's difficult to use the breath, if it's challenging for you, then come back to the whole body just sitting here, noticing the sensations in the body. You can know them simply using the notation of sitting, sitting. And within that notation, the various sensations in the body can be known, can be experienced. Then you can open the attention again. Let your attention be gentle but clear, receptive, rather than striving. And if striving is there, Let that be known clearly, striving being known. Try to keep a steady balance and a continuity of your practice. Whenever you feel like you're getting overwhelmed or it's too much for you, know that moment, overwhelm being known. You can open the eyes for a brief period. Open the attention through hearing and continue to know what's going on in this moment. So keep the balance of being clear, receptive, yet gentle, moment to moment with your practice.
So do you have questions this morning about your practice? Yes? So the comment has to do with uh, how do you practice with the eyes opened or closed? It, I think I heard you say that when your eyes are closed, you your mind wanders more. Did I hear that right? Yes, I find that my mind wanders a lot, or I start having visualizations, and so I'm a little bit more grounded. I feel when my eyes are open. Oh, good. Okay. So just with regard to that, uh, eyes opened or closed, it's okay to keep the eyes slightly open especially when you're noticing that, that a lot of visualizations come um, just kind of spontaneously when your eyes are closed. But when they're open, see if you can keep them open and just uh, kind of slightly open so that what you're seeing is just right in front of you. Is that what you do? Um, Rather than looking out here, Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, if, if it works for you to do it that way, it's fine. You might just want to experiment with having the gaze a little bit downward so that you can uh, guard your sense doors a little bit more. But if you feel your sense doors are pretty guarded by keeping soft gaze and open, see how continue to see how that works. It, it could... Um, distract you sometimes because you see somebody or you see somebody moving or there's something that catches your eye and then your mind gets wound around that. So see how your mind works with that. Uh, Are you using uh, your breath when you come back to the body or you're using the nada sound? Okay, I want to explain about this nada sound. It's something that um, uh, Achan Sumedo has talked about, and it's um, I've I've heard recently that he himself said it's something that he just thought that would help him when he does his practice, and so it sh- he shares it with others. It's not necessarily in the Pali Canon anywhere, um, but if the sound if there is sound arising, you can put your attention there, but I would use it uh, here in this retreat because we're not teaching in, in a way that uses a nada sound as a primary anchor. It's not where our learning has been based in. So um, in order to follow along with the teachings that we're offering you, it might be good to, when, when that sound arises, you, of course, go there and know it is hearing, hearing, because it's predominant. But it would be better to use your breath as the place where you can come back to when you need to come back to that place. Not to ignore that. Even now when I'm speaking, I have crickets in the ear because I've got some tinnitus happening. So when that happens, the mind goes there just momentarily and then it comes back to what it needs to uh, pay attention to. 
So use your breath uh, to come back to, but not what we're trying to accentuate here is not to hone in on the breath. It like you use the word focusing, and sometimes when we use the term focusing, we have an idea that the mind can get just really so streamlined and more tight than um, gentle and clear about even the breath. So you can come back to the breath, but keep it as a, as a light touch, not as a real focusing with a lot of striving to be there. Light and uh, at the same time clear with what's going on so that uh, the attention is connecting and sustaining on the breath for that short time that it's available to you. And then opening the attention to whatever else is happening. I want to explain that part when I talk about opening the attention. Um, actually, what happens is it, we're not really opening the attention intentionally. Really how it works out quite organically is that the mind is drawn to something else because that becomes more predominant than the breath. So uh, we find the attention just at another place. So when the attention is drawn to another place or experience, because it is predominant at that moment and more predominant than the breath, then uh, allow full attention to be at that now, what is now happening at another place, either another sensation in the body, thinking, sloth and torpor, attachment, aversion, restlessness, any of the... um, defilements or hindrances which we normally see at the very beginning of practice no matter how long we've practiced for most of us it's that way or whatever else even pleasant that may be happening or neutral yeah does the third precept include masturbation yes it does so does the third precept include masturbation it's a, it's about um refraining from any kind of sexual activity so that we can use our energy to go right into being mindful, to paying attention to what's coming up and seeing whether the mind can just be mindful of that wanting moment or that yearning moment or that lusting moment. It's, it's really important to practice that as well. So it's not making anything wrong. It's just you know, being astute with how we're using the practice here. Yes? Um, when one becomes, let's say, more aware of a pattern within oneself, uh-huh. um, you know, it comes up now and then in life and in practice, um, is it ever helpful to, uh, in the practice to actually consciously bring up the So the comment is about when one becomes more aware of what's going on kind of beneath the surface is uh, the habit patterns of the mind. Is it, is it good to bring it up consciously and work with it? Not, it, not here. There, there are ways to bring it up uh, as a reflection and where, we're, where we can you know, carry more restraint in our practice, where we could nurture more. And at times 
when we're not in intensive retreat like this, it is practical and beneficial to bring it up that way as a contemplation. But here we're practicing more of a moment-to-moment mindful awareness. And what we are um, giving the guidance and instruction to do is to notice whenever something has become predominant so that whatever is in the moment we're practicing just being with what organically comes up. So here, just see if you can practice in that way and try to leave that to the side for now. It's a good practice, but it's not what we're offering right now. Except sometimes like when we do the metta and the equanimity in the afternoons, uh, we may be doing some time of contemplation like that. And you'll have actually time to work on that at that time. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. To what the difference is between contemplating your unwise choices and regret. Well, what contemplating your unwise choices has to do with in our uh, world, in our Western world, with remorse, right? right. Just really, remorse is pretty healthy. Uh, Regret is something that we might just worry about. So it causes that worriness in the mind which perhaps we can become identified with. Um, We can get identified with if we've done something in the past that has caused hurt to a person, we might have this kind of worry and identification with the worry that I am a bad person because have caused uh, some some hurt to someone in the past. So this doesn't have to do with, um, a remorse doesn't have to do with becoming identified with what goes on in, in a very deep sense of the word. Remorse does have to do, even um, in the Buddhist teaching, uh, more kind of leaning with, uh, leaning into contemplating what leads to Uh, harm and what leads to harmony and inclining the mind towards what leads to harmony giving up or letting go what leads to uh, hurt or harm so as the previous gentleman was talking about sometimes we just need to contemplate need to remember that sometimes we're not intentionally remembering it but it comes to mind just spontaneously and you can't help but know the content of that thought like, oh, that was hurtful. Next time, I'm going to watch that more carefully and let that hurtful whatever is coming into the mind not let it come out of my mouth. And that kind of uh, thought can come in a moment and be known just in a nanosecond, really. It's not like we're really contemplating it or putting a lot of thought to it. So generally, in our Western world, remorse might have to do with wise attention rather than worry and um, identification with the thought. Remorse is more to do with leaning towards non-identification. I'd like to... um, I have a few announcements, so if you have any more questions, please save them for your... uh, 
connection with the teacher next, either in a group or in a, a personal interview. And I know we, we start the um, interviews... Yesterday we started at 9.15, so I wanted to be able to end this at about 9.10 or a little after. The fans. So talking about the fans. There's been a lot of experience within IMS, the managers and, and the maintenance here, uh, and we've known about what to do with fans or no fans. It's best if we put the overhead fans on. So that's what we're doing when we need them uh, because they're not so noisy. When, we put the, when we've put the fans on that are in the windows, it becomes very, very noisy and it doesn't really um, help the, our practice. Also, the people who are near the fans complain about the fans. And so we can't please everybody when the fans in the windows are on. And a lot of restlessness occurs when a big, you know, multiple hindrance attack comes, when the fans come on. It's so it's really best to put the overhead fans on. And, and so that's been the decision uh, for, for this retreat. If you um, have... A real difficulty, a, a physical difficulty with it, then it's okay to practice in your room. Please come to the, uh, the talks and any teachings that we have, like this morning teaching at 8.15, then in the afternoon at 3.45, and then also at the 7.30 Dhamma talk. Please come for those. But if, if really physically it's difficult for you, then you can practice in your room where, where it's cooler or practice outside, or do walking meditation in the coolness downstairs. When we're having a sit, not to do walking meditation out here in this hall. Also, please drink a lot of water. Um, it was really helpful. I, where we were just at at Spirit Rock on the West Coast, they had a big sign on the board, drink plenty of water, and probably we have one here too, we'll put up pretty soon. So um, please do the things that help you to stay balanced and just understand what the group energy needs and um, individuals may need a fan but there are some that it doesn't work to have a fan so um, we just have to go with what works for for the group Um, and also it's about your relationship to the fan this is what (laughs) or not the fan this is what this whole retreat is going to be about, and we're trying to start you out with the basis that will, of vipassana and the basis of metta that will help you kind of veer your mind, incline your mind to more equanimity. But equanimity is about non-reactivity and noticing what your mind is doing with the conditions that are present now and noticing the conditions the outer conditions with as much neutrality as you can, but also noticing the inner conditions, how the mind is reacting to what's going on, noticing the aversion or the strong wanting mind or your attachment to your opinion about what needs to happen. So this is, this is a basis of our practice here and, and we're doing our best to, to help you with that. The interviews, um, there will be, as we mentioned yesterday, there will be interviews scheduled for individuals and also group interviews. And because there are so many, 
uh, of you were doing two group interviews uh, and one um, individual interview. So each one of you will have three interviews during this time of being here. If you're not on the list today, please let us know because somehow maybe uh, we didn't get your interview sheet, your questionnaire, or it fell through the cracks. So please give us a note with regard to that. Um, the interviews are not optional. We, we ask you to come to the interviews. They're really beneficial for you. Um, interviews are as important as your silent, quiet time. Uh, you have a huge amount of silent, quiet time, but little time to really get a reality check about what's going on in your practice. Sometimes we can go on and on about what's going on in our practice, and when we tell, and it might not be actually the right view, and even for very advanced meditators, it's always good to get a reality check and talk about your practice. It's not only good for a yogi when we're yogis, but it's good for the teachers because we, we really need to be responsible and need to know what's going on with your practice. It helps us to know what to talk about and just how to generally hold the group. So please do show up for your interviews because um, it, it, it's already been um, scheduled and it, it just would be disrespectful not to show up. We need a 1045 bell ringer um, for the hall. If somebody could volunteer for that, would be very helpful. Okay, thank you. You can come up here and, and do this sitting. If you... Was it the bell outside? Yeah. It's a city... It's a bell here in the hall. Can you do that? If you feel comfortable sitting up here, you're welcome to. Uh, but there's a bell there also at the edge of the um, stage here, and you can bring it there. So somebody will be here to ring the bell. Is it at 10 or 10.45? The sitting is 10 to 10.45. Thanks, Sumi. And the bell should be rung at 10.45. There's a clock here you can take. Um, I wanted to explain briefly about the metta. Uh, and the equanimity. We'll, the equanimity practice has its basis in metta. And so we are doing the metta practice first in the first couple or three days. I'm just going to see how it goes. I'll be offering the metta this afternoon at 345. Um, it's, it's better to do the equanimity based on the metta practice. So we really need to practice metta first, and then we'll go into the equanimity practice. So just wanted to give you a heads up of how that's done. Okay, so have a beautiful day.